Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a movie podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and Classic Coroner, Rosalie Kicks, me. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Did you miss me, film pals? I apologize for going dark there for a moment. I've spent some time recovering from making the short film Pizza Man, and then there was the onslaught of films that come out in November and December that require quite a bit of reviewing. And then it was the holidays, and poof, it was January, and time to prepare for Sundance. So my coffin was calling. Fortunately, I managed to catch up on some much-needed nap time. Sadly, despite being well-rested, I managed to catch a cold right before I headed to the film festival, which kept me from giving a preview beforehand. Sorry about that. But hey, now I'm back. My eyes have been rested, and I have once again found myself in my natural state as a piece of film ready to report to you my findings from another trip to the Sundance Film Festival. For those confused by my pronunciation of Sundance, I will now share my meeting with Crispin Hellion Glover. After attending one of his live performances, he spoke of his time at Sundance when he premiered one of his films. Well, I found his articulation of the word so fitting, so it just stuck. And for those who don't know Crispin, well, he is most famously known for his appearance in Back to the Future as George McFly. And then there is also the case law that forever rocked Hollywood in regards to using someone's likeness without permission. After in Back to the Future 2, they featured a mold of his face rather than having him reappear in the role. Basically, they made a skin mask and, well, history was made. But enough of that. Let's talk about Sundance. Hey kids, how would you like to hear this on the screen instead of the great show you came to see? That's what you sound like, honest. Please cooperate and do your part in keeping this theater quiet so everyone, including you, can enjoy it. I remember lots of adults and kids, too, paid admission to enjoy the show. We must insist on absolute quiet. Despite heading to the fest under the weather, I managed to have a grand time. Something about that mountain air and the wind blowing between my perfs, that really managed to reinvigorate my film spirits. The Sundance Film Festival truly is a magical event, 
and I was so fortunate enough this year to be selected for their Press Inclusion Initiative, which provided me with an upgraded press pass and a travel stipend to assist with my accommodations. I was so appreciative of this, as the fest can be rather costly. Our movie site, moviejohn.com, and print scene are made purely out of the love for film, so any little bit that is given is truly helpful. As a small, independent DIY publication, it is often challenging to gain access to particular films and events, so having this pass really put me at ease, and I managed to see 15 films over the course of four days. It was awesome, and at times a bit lonely, to be honest, so I hope next year that some other film pals of mine will make the venture out west. I find with each film festival I cover, I learn so much, so before next year, I'm thinking of making a Sundance survival guide. Just tips and tricks that I have learned or discovered along the way. Like this awesome coffee shop that makes Mexican mochas that I only found on the last day that I was there. Or one of the theaters that sells fresh baked goods. All of this and more will be included. Until then, let me share with you my top three flicks of the fest. Keep your eyes peeled for them. I'm not sure if their release dates quite yet, but you can trust that I will, of course, let you know as soon as I hear any updates. If you make your way to moviejohn.com, I am slowly reviewing most of the movies I saw at Sundance. However, if you want to find my snippet reviews or the entire list of films that I caught, head over to my Rosalie Kicks Letterboxd account or the Movie John Instagram, which is just at moviejohn. Okay, without further ado, here are my top three films from Sundance. Number three, Possessor. This is not a film to watch if you're looking for a relaxing night at the cinema. Written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, it tells the story of a covert organization that utilizes brain implant technology to inhabit a person's body in order to carry out assassinations. This was wild stuff, which brings me to this new genre that I recently created, which I'm calling Werewolf Cinema. Werewolf Cinema means bonkers. Simply put, it's wild. Now, there was a lot to like about Possessor. However, some of my favorite things were the non-specified time setting, the eccentric production design, and actor Andrea Riseborough. Um, she plays Agent Voss and is the group's top skinwalker, so to speak. Many of you may remember her from movies such as Mandy and Birdman. Now, I don't want to reveal too much about Possessor because I think this is one of those that you should totally go in cold and just watch it. But if you are inclined to learn more about the movie and the story, I recently did write a full review over at moviejohn.com, which you can check out. My second pick from the fest is Jumbo. 
In So Wittok's feature debut, Jumbo explores the idea that there is no wrong way to love. The story centers on Jean, who is played by Naomi Merland, who is most notably known for her recent beautiful picture, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Jean is a shy, demure, awkward 20-something that lives at home with her mother and works at an amusement park as a nighttime custodian. Jean's free time is spent tinkering and experimenting in her bedroom turned self-made laboratory of sorts, where she creates models of many of the rides from the park out of random junk. She does not seek human interaction and instead finds happiness in the inanimate objects she has surrounded herself with. So if you couldn't tell, this picture was right up my alley. For some, it may seem a bit outlandish, when she falls head over heels for an amusement park ride? Meh, it's fine. You need to look past what some may deem as peculiar, because at the heart of it, what it's trying to say is, there is no wrong way to love. You can find my full review of Jumbo on moviejohn.com. And lastly, my favorite flick from the Sundance Film Festival was Shirley. Directed by Josephine Decker, This tells a semi-fictional tale about a horror writer, Shirley Jackson, and a young couple that moves in with her and her husband while Shirley is completing her novel, Hangs a Man. Elizabeth Moss plays Shirley, and I absolutely loved her performance. I only recently started reading Shirley Jackson's books, and they're amazing. If you're into horror, I highly recommend checking them out especially some of her short stories. I also have to talk about Moss for a minute here. She is turning out to be one of my favorite actors working right now, especially after seeing movies such as Her Smell and now The Invisible Man, another flick that I highly recommend seeing, which just opened recently. Um, Definitely check it out. Now, I have not written a full review about Shirley yet, but I'm very much looking forward to, and I can't wait for more of my film pals to check out this movie. It's great. So that's my top three. However, I have to admit, there was not really a picture this year at Sundance that I saw that I didn't like. So keep an eye out for my continued coverage, as some of the films I saw are being released soon, and my coverage will post as the release dates get closer. It's a perfect night for mystery and horror. The air itself is filled with monsters. All right, film pals, time to grab your cape and get comfortable. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as we descend down to the cinematic crypt. For this episode, I will be digging up the 1925 Charlie Chaplin-directed silent movie, The Gold Rush. So, initially, I watched this movie by recommendation from my fellow classic coroner pal, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers. She thought it would be neat to examine a film that depicts a person battling the elements, especially after my first trip to Sundance. For those that don't know, Well, my first trip to Sundance almost ended up being my last. 
I sorta kinda almost went sleepies for good. I fell in a river, and things got rather grim. Ta-da! I made it out alive, and after watching the gold rush, felt prepared to take on whatever Mother Nature decided to throw my way. The 1925 silent flick, The Gold Rush, was written, directed, produced, and stars Charlie Chaplin. The story was inspired by the Klondike Gold Rush, which estimates that 100,000 people migrated to Northwest Canada between 1896 to 1899 in search of gold. Basically, they were hoping to become an Uncle Scrooge McDuck. What may come as a surprise to some, but is so fitting for this program, is that this story was also inspired by the infamous Donner Party. For those not familiar with this morbid tale, after numerous mishaps, a group found themselves stranded in the Sierra Nevada mountain range around 1846-ish. Due to this, they had no choice but to turn to cannibalism in order to survive. Ooh, spooky. Chaplin always felt that comedy and horror were like two peas in a pod, often combining the two genres in many of his stories. A man after my own heart. You all find the idea of poison and murder schemes funny too, right? I mean, it's completely normy to think that's funny. If not, you may want to question your choice of descending into my crypt. Okay. So the film opens with Chaplin, a lone prospector, in the snow-covered mountains, ambling along. He's in search of gold and being followed by a grizzly bear, but don't worry, he has his trusty cane. Fortunately, he stumbles upon a cabin and invites himself inside, only not realizing that the inhabitant is a wanted criminal, Black Larson. When another gold prospector, Jim, stumbles his way to the cabin as well. Comedy ensues, specifically around the issue of food. The three of them have found themselves famished, and upon drawing straws, it is decided Black Larson should set out on the trail for food, leaving Chaplin and Jim behind. Tired of waiting around for Larson and desperately pining for food, they decide to boil up the tramp's shoe. In watching this well-known scene, the thought crossed my mind, how is this done? I mean, he's literally eating his shoe. Well, apparently this scene took three days, 63 takes, until little Charles was pleased. For perspective listeners, Pizza Man, the short film I just finished shooting with my pals Ian Kimball and Katie McCrory was shot in two days. Three days for one scene is an insane amount of time. Additionally, in case any of you out there are wondering, the boot was made out of licorice. And all I can say is, no thanks. Okay, before I go any further, Crypt Dwellers, I have to let you know, I adore Charlie, but my heart shall always be with Buster Keaton. I do enjoy the occasional chaplain, but can find him a bit tiresome as I feel he is trying so hard to make me laugh. Whereas Buster knows the limit of a joke. Also, Buster's stunts? Well, that is a whole other bag of tricks that I will get into on another episode when we dissect one of his flicks. Let's just leave it at this, though. There is a reason people say, before Tommy C., there was Buster Keaton. 
Enough corpse crushing. Let's get back to the coffin at hand. When the storm does stop, the lone prospector and Jim decide to leave the cabin. It is witnessed Jim heads to a remote location in which he is storing his gold treasure. Unfortunately, this treasure was also uncovered by Black Larson when he had gone out looking for food, who ends up knocking Jim over the head with a shovel. Don't worry, Black Larson gets his in the end, and when Jim does recover from the attack, he heads to the nearby town, but his brain, well, it is a bit of scrambled eggs, and he does not quite recall where his treasure was hidden, so he searches for the one person that may remember something, the lone prospector everyone's favorite little tramp for answers. Of course, this would not be a Chaplin flick without him encountering a woman that he falls head over heels for after a simple batting of the eye. The tramp does not seem to have a concern that Georgia, his newfound love of his life, has no interest in him. It does not keep him from inviting her to a New Year's Eve dinner at the cabin that he seems to have now commandeered. It was this scene in particular that was my favorite. There is a fantastic moment in which Chaplin performs a dance routine with a couple of dinner rolls. It filled me with joy. Unfortunately though, the New Year's Eve party ends up being a bust and the prospector gets roped in to looking for Jim's treasure. The two of them find the treasure, along with a nearby cabin that they decide to spend the night in, only to find that overnight a blizzard arrived, and the cabin has now found itself half over a cliff. This leads to another rather well-known scene from the film in which the cabin is shown rocking back and forth over the cliff. This picture went on to be the fifth highest grossing silent film in history. Chaplin later on revived the picture in 1942 by adding a new musical score and voiceover narration and went on to say that this was the film that he most wanted to be known for. I ended up watching this on the Criterion channel. Not sure if it is still on there, but it was presented in very good quality. It is also currently available for purchase on disc from Criterion, and I'm sure if you looked, your local library probably has a copy as well. After watching this movie, there were some things that I really started to pick up on within Chaplin films. I love his cane. I don't know what it is, but the cane is like a character to me, and I love anything that he is doing with the cane. In this picture, he was using it in the snow, while he was being followed by a grizzly bear. Next year at Sundance, I shall have a cane. I believe it may help me in those icy situations. The next thing I noticed were pups, or as my Canadian film pal Ashley Jane would say, doggos. They are a constant character within the Chaplin films, and I love this. I have not worked with a doggo on set yet, but frankly, I could see this happening in my future. I apologize to my producer now. Sorry, Ian. Also, I could really write an article about all the doggos, and please excuse me for this, but bitches, aka ladies, in Chaplin films. I mean, he has a new one in every single picture. Think about it. And lastly, you can do a lot with miniatures and models. Just watch the movie and you'll find out. 
Regarding miniatures, I'm going to have something really rad to share on my next episode. So you may want to tune in when I dissect the 1932 film Death Kiss, starring Bella Lugosi and David Manners. When there is a murder on a film set, chaos ensues and a dabbler, well, he dabbles. I can't wait to share this film with you and reveal my exciting news. Hope you join me on this next expedition to the grave. Until then, please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you catch your pods, and give us a rating and review to help other goblins and ghouls find the show. If it is a kind review, I may even read it on the show, like this one from L.F. Locke. I love the style of this show, which mixes soothing narration by Rosalie Kicks with audio clips from the movies under discussion. Her insights are always interesting and informative, and each episode makes me want to watch the film she's highlighted immediately. Wow, that's so lovely. Thank you, L.F. Locke. If you watch Gold Rush, let me know what you guys think. You can drop me a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. Don't be a stranger. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt. Don't forget to visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe to the movie zine that I create quarterly with my film pals. Our current issue is going fast and features LGBTQ plus films. It is available for purchase in print and digital versions, so please check that out. Shout out to my Canadian film pal, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, and fellow classic coroner for providing and creating the tunes you hear on this program. Also, thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk, Hugo Marmuji, for the rad cinematic crypt logo. I love you guys. One more thing before I go, if you love my soothing voice as much as LF Locke, I have some grand news for you. Coming April 6th marks the return of Movie John's flagship podcast, I Saw It in a Movie, a movie advice podcast that goes to the cinema for the answers. Each week, myself and my co-host and film pal, Ryan Silberstein, will take questions from our listeners. If you subscribe to the show now, you can find a teaser. So please check out I Saw It in a Movie, and if you have troubles of your own that you need help with, please drop us a line. It is now time to close the coffin. Here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote, compliments of Chaplin's crush in the gold rush, Georgia. You see, I'm very particular who I dance with. Because if I'm going to take time to climb out of my bunk, you best believe it better be worth it. Goodbye, film pals.